You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to get into a... um a message. My title for today is called The Pursuit of Presence. The Pursuit of Presence. We're going to talk about what happens whenever we choose to pursue the presence of God. What happens when we choose to pursue the presence of God? And if you brought your Bible, go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read a story from the life of King David. And uh, as you're turning there, as you're getting ready, I want to talk specifically about this topic. How do we, what happens when we pursue the presence of God? And here's what we talked about last week. We talked about how there's the presence of God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. We have an inner presence. And then there's a manifest presence as well whenever we gather together with our church family. But I think there's something that we're going to see in the principle of this Old Testament story that happens whenever we choose to be intentional with being in and acknowledging the presence of God everywhere that we go. Whenever we pursue it, go after it, and are in it, every, everywhere that we go, we're, we're in tune with it. We're looking for it. We're longing to be with God, for Him to make Himself known to us on a regular basis. And today I'm going to show us, even in our church, what happens when our church <clears throat> is not pa- passionate, <clears throat> excuse me, is not passionate about performing well on Sundays. But what happens when our church is passionate about pursuing well on Sundays? Does that make sense? What happens whenever our church gathers together not to say, hey, look at us, look at how great we are, but if we say, hey, let's gather together and as a church body, let's pursue Jesus and pursue his presence like never before all together and let's watch how God responds and how he shows up in ways that we never imagined that he would. Let's watch the miraculous take place. Let's see his will done in this place as it is in heaven I think when we shift our focus, not to perform well, but to pursue well, God can move in our church in a very exciting way. But let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is a story from the life of King David. Let me give you some context, and we'll dive into it. One of the, uh, the first decisions that King David made was to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines, to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. The previous king, King Saul, he had previously lost the Ark in war, and at this point it had been missing for 20 years. Had been missing for 20 years. Um, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, uh, it, it would dwell, be contained in a singular place, the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. It would be contained in there. It would be a specific spot. Now, it's, it's important to remind ourselves that in the New Covenant, the New Testament that we are in, that God's presence no longer is limited to a particular place, but that it is now in people. That's the inner presence that we've been talking about. It is now in people. Um, and when you think of the Ark of the Covenant, we're not talking about Indiana Jones' uh, movie here. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're not talking about people's faces being melted off. Okay, that's not exactly what we're talking about. Uh, but in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, it was behind a tent, and they called that place the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. And once a year, the high priest could go in. He could make sacrifices on behalf of the people Uh, of God, and he would interact with the presence of God. But here's what I want us to see today. Pursuing the presence of God always leads to a move of God. When I say, Lord, I'm going to pursue your presence, it always leads to a move of God. And so let's look at point number one here. If you're taking notes, it's this. Take personal 
responsibility. In pursuing the presence of God, I have to make a decision to take personal responsibility in doing so. And so let's look at our story. 20 years, the nation of Israel had missed out on the presence of God. They'd missed out on the presence of God. And here we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and here's King David. Here's what he does. Uh, 2 Samuel 6 verse 1. David, again, he brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. They set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Everyone say a new cart. Say it again, a new cart. Remember that. We're going to come back to that here in just a second. What this shows us, though, and I think this is a great reminder for us even in 2024, is that every great move of God begins when someone takes personal responsibility and decides that what we have done and what we have half-heartedly continued to do is not going to work for where we're going. Every great move of God, whether you look at scripture, whether you're looking at even history, every great move of God begins when someone takes personal responsibility and they decide what we've done What we've half-heartedly been doing is not going to cut it for where we're going and where God is calling us to. Somebody has to take personal responsibility. Every revival starts with a group of people personally rediscovering and pursuing a passion for the presence of God. That's where every great revival is. There's a group of people that say, you know what, we want more. We want more of God's presence. We're we not settled with just head knowledge of this. No, we want to live in and experience the presence of God in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way that we've never experienced before, but maybe other people have in history. Lord, we want more of you. And that's where revival begin, has this catalyst, it has a fire, it has a start somewhere when someone takes or a group of people take personal responsibility. And when we take personal responsibility for the presence of God, the things of God, we can't Americanize it, if that makes sense. Meaning this, we're not passionate about more uh, feel-good or funny sermons. It's not what we're passionate about. We're not passionate about uh, a perfect program within the church. We're not passionate about culturally relevant church services and things that we're doing. That's not the passion. That's not the heart behind it. The passion is the presence. I have, I have a passion for the presence of God. Lord, I just want you. We want more of you in our church. Lord, we want your will done in our church. And in doing so, that leads us to something special in a move of God. But here's what happens. I think in America, we've got it so good, and this is the danger. It's a blessing to have it so good, but there's also a danger with it because in the American church, and and we have to fight this on a regular basis, if we're not careful, the American church can build a lot without the presence of God. It's so easy to do. If I have enough money, I can do a lot. We can do that ministry and we can build this thing and we can gather this many people and we can get the word out and we can do a lot. And there's nothing wrong with with big church or anything like that. Please hear my heart. Like we're a growing church. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's the, we have to remind ourselves of what is the why behind what we're doing. Is it to say we had this many people here on Sunday? Look at us. Or is it to say no God's presence was so tangible. And here's how we know. Look at the people that got healed on Sunday. Look at how many people got saved on Sunday. Look at how many people came forward and said, hey, I need to get water baptized. I don't want to wait six months. I need to get water baptized like now. Those moments 
or when we know the presence of God is drawing people into a bold faith, a real faith, not just a passive, casual, don't look at me. No, whenever we see God moving in a special way, a real way, that's when we know our heart is right in what we're doing. Our heart is right in what we're doing. So here's David. He takes 30,000 men to retrieve the ark of God. But in doing so, they actually violate one of the principles, one of the laws of God. Here's what happens. In Numbers 4, Moses outlines how the ark is supposed to be transported. It's supposed to be transported on the shoulders of the Levite priests. But what does King David do? In verse 3, they set the ark of God on a new cart. On a new cart. David has a good heart in what he's trying to do, but he is missing something vitally important. A new cart. I think oftentimes what happens is this happens to us in the modern church, right? We try to ask for the presence of God. Lord, would you show up today? And in doing so, Lord, we're going to give a, we're going to make a new program that God's going to move in. We're going to, you know, have a new strategy. We're going to have a new initiative. We're going to have a new organization, a new uh, ministry that we're going to launch. And we think that the new thing is going to convince God to show up. And that's not the motivation. It's not, Lord, if we do this, will you grace us with your presence? We have to remind ourselves, programs don't carry a move of God. People carry a move of God. Nothing wrong with programs, nothing wrong with ministries, nothing wrong with a, a new initiative. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you get back to what is the why behind it, if that is right, if the pursuit of his presence is in it, then it will be blessed with the move of God and God will show up in it in a fresh way, in a new way, in a powerful way. Programs don't carry a move of God. People carry a move of God. Here's why. A move of God, revival, if you want to call it that, a move of God is not an object to be held. It is an intimacy to be had. A move of God is not an object to be had. It is, a, or it is an intimacy to be had. It's not an object to be held. It's an intimacy to be had with a loving, heavenly Father. And programs and these extra things, if we're not careful, they won't take us, and they can't take us, where personal commitment and dedication will. Whenever I say, Lord, I'm going to take personal responsibility to pursue you and see God move. That's where a move of God has started. Not with, well, if we do something new, maybe God will show up, hopefully, fingers crossed. What happens is we try to think of a new way to get to God, to get his presence. But God wants us to return to his word. Let's do a new way. When God's saying, just look at my word. And that's where David missed it. David wasn't looking, how do we transport this thing? How do we transport the presence of God? He wasn't looking. What did he say? Let's build a new cart. Let's let the oxen pull it, right? Let's make it easier on us. And this is where this story really gets interesting here in just a second as we continue reading because God's response is not how we would think. Programs can't substitute personal responsibility, but too many times what happens is we're waiting for the church to create a perfect situation for us to experience God. Well, if the church would do this, the church would do that, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to do something in my life to pursue God personally. And here's what I need you to hear as your pastor. 
It's not enough for me to want a move of God in your life on your behalf. I want that, but you have to want it. It's not enough for your church to want a move of God in your life on your behalf. You have to want it enough to say, I'm willing to put this on my shoulder and carry it. I'm willing to feel a little bit of the responsibility to move forward in the presence of God. And I would say this, if you want a move of God in your life, don't tell someone else to build a spiritual cart to carry it for you. If you want a move of God in your life, don't tell someone else to build a spiritual cart to carry it for you. You must take personal responsibility to carry it on your shoulders. What happens in the story? Would they say, well, build us a cart and we'll let the oxen carry it, right? And many times in today's world, what we do, build us a program, we'll let someone else labor for it and we'll just benefit from it. That's not how this works. And when I begin to realize, man, if I need a move of God in my family, in, in my work, in, my, in my, just my, uh, my career, in, in my relationships, I have to start asking myself, who's, who's gonna do this? Who's gonna own it? Like, who's, who's gonna build my faith? I am. <laughs> faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I got, a, I got a Bible. If you don't have one, we have free ones. We'll give you one. Who's gonna build my faith? I am. Who's gonna pray for my family and cover them, make sure they're protected? Who's gonna pray God's will over them? Somebody else? It's the pastor's job. It's my grandparents' job. It's my job. I'm going to do it. Who's going who's gonna, to, you know, disciple my kids in this culture that is pushing all kinds of stuff that's anti-God's word? Hope the church has a good kids' ministry, right? Who's going to disciple my kids? I am. And I'll partner with my church, but I will disciple my kids. See the personal responsibility? When I start to say, Lord, I'm going to own my walk with you then things begin to shift. Then things begin to shift. Who's going to lead my neighbor to Christ? I am. Lord, use me. And for some of you, you may say, that scares me so much. Like, if I've got to go lead my neighbor to, to Jesus, I don't even know what prayer to pray, what to say. I would say this, good. Good. Here's why. When God invites you into something, and you feel the weight of the responsibility of it, what does it make you do? It makes you lean into God's presence more than you ever have before. It, means, it makes me go, Lord, I need you. Lord, because I can't do this on my own. Lord, I'm, I'm so scared. I'm so afraid. Like, I don't know how to take this step of faith. Lord, I trust you. And what does it do? It makes me draw close to God. And that's what God's looking for. God's saying, will you trust me enough to walk with me? And God wants you to feel the weight of the responsibility of your shoulders and say, I'll carry that. I'll do my part. I will go and watch what, God, watch what God does. Let's continue in verse five. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, with harps, with lyres, with uh, timbrels, with sistrums, with cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor, remember that threshing floor of uh, Nacon, Uzzah reached out and he took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Let's stop here. Interesting story, right? Our hearts go out for Uzzah, because how many times would you think, this is God's presence, the oxen stumbling, the natural thing is, I'm going to get hands on it, I'm going to help. 
I'm going to help. But God shows us a deeper principle here. And it's a reminder that as a thought, God might need his help to stabilize this thing. God might need my help. And if I don't help, God's done for. This thing's going to crash and God's presence is going to be gone. I think this is a reminder that God doesn't, he's not, he doesn't need our help, but he's inviting us into partnership. He's inviting us into a partnership. And rem- remember this, partnership requires relationship. God's saying, look, I want you to partner with me. I'm going to give you instructions on how to do it my way. And if you do it my way, you will be blessed. But we don't get to control the presence of God on our terms. Lord, we want you to show up, but when you show up, you got about a three-minute window on Sunday morning, and if you don't show up there, then we got to move on with service. We don't get to do that. And the moment we do that, he won't show up. We don't get to control and tell the presence of God what it's supposed to do. No, he is God and we are not. Lord, we submit to you and submit to your presence and what you want to do. You can't manage a move of God. You can't manage revival when it begins to break out, when it shows up. And sometimes we try to do that. We try to manage it. We're trying to control it. We're trying to make it fit our perfect box because it makes us uncomfortable and it takes us to the threshing floor. Just like in the story, the threshing floor, what it was is it was a place where things were separated. Things were separated, the good and the bad, the real and the fake. They were separated in the threshing floor. And that's what happens when a move of God shows up. It's going to take you to a place where you're going to have to ask, will I be real or will I be fake? Am I going to give God everything or I'm just going to put on a mask and put on a good show that I'm a Christian? Am I going to actually submit to his will or am I going to continue to fight against him and do what I want to do because it's convenient for me? The threshing floor takes you to a place of decision. Either I will humble myself or I will have pride and say, you know what, God, I know better than you. Let me help you, God, not stumble. The threshing floor is where things are separated. It is the moment where we have to make a decision. Rather than sometimes when revival shows up and we're trying to control it and and all this stuff, it takes us to the threshing floor. Rather than submitting to God, we try to control it and do things our way and how we think would make the most sense. But I'd say this, the moment we try to control a move of God is the moment we lose it. The moment we try to control a move of God is the moment that we lose it. This is what happened to Uzzah. Let me help you. He should have never been in that situation to begin with. God says, if you do it my way, things will change. Things will prosper. You will be blessed because of his presence. And here's how this compares to us in 2024. The principle behind it is this. One pastor said it this way. He said, some people have traded a relentless pursuit of Jesus for a nice, safe, sanitized religious expression that never moves their heart, it never disrupts their schedule, it never requires their finances, it never inconveniences their life, but God has called us to greater than that. Let me say this again. Some people have traded a relentless pursuit of God's presence for a nice, safe, sanitized religious expression. I'll go to church when it's easy. I'll read my Bible when I feel like it. I'll worship, you know, when I feel good and I feel happy that day. We do these cheap imitations of a real pursuit. And we've traded real pursuit for the fake things, the sanitized, the religious things, the safe things. 
But God is saying, I'm interested in people that are so hungry for me that it moves your heart. That your heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. That you get a fire in your belly for seeing people that are far from God. It moves your heart. It disrupts your schedule. It requires your finances. It inconveniences your life. What does that do? It keeps me humble. Lord, whatever you want, in whatever area of my life, I'll give to you. If only to stay and to be in your presence. If only to be in your presence. Don't put the presence of God on a cart where it never should have been. Then try to control it when it doesn't go the way that we thought it should go. If we're going to ask God to move in our church and for a move of God to happen in our church or a move of God and revival to take place in our city, in our region, and beyond, what happens is when, we, when he comes in, what we have to ask ourselves is, Lord, I see what you're doing. Show me my part in alignment with your word so that you can do all that you want to do, not what I want to do. I don't get to control God's presence when it shows up. Point number two is this. Remain in God's presence. Take personal responsibility. What is, what is my part? What am I going to do about seeing a move of God, pursuing the presence of God? But number two is this, remain in God's presence. So here's David, right? David's trying to do the good thing. David gets mad at what happened with the ark, and he goes back home. Forget it then. I'm out. I'm going home. You guys can deal with this. But then he hears the news of something happening. And look at this, 2 Samuel 6, verse 11. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God, because of his presence. So David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Here's what's interesting. God wants to use your blessing and his favor in your life when you're pursuing him. He wants to use those blessings, those things in your life to provoke godly jealousy in the life of others. He wants people to see your life, say, man, something's changed about you. How do you have that favor? Like, how do things always go your way? How do you walk in the way that you walk? How do you not let things get to you? How are you not offended all the time? How are you not angry when this happens to you at work? What's going on? What does it do? It, it, it produces this godly jealousy that draws people closer to God. Now, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you what's going on in here. God has done something in my heart and it invites and it creates an invitation for us to share our faith with other people. This is why you choosing, though, to get off the sideline and to get into the game spiritually is such a big deal. To serve, to give, to share, to invite, whatever it might be, because you never know who it might impact. When I choose to remain in God's presence and to stay there, I have no idea the ripple effect that's gonna take place. And here's what happens. The ark of God, the presence of God, it remained in the house and it blessed everyone. And David hears about it and he says, so God's favor is still with us. His presence is still dwelling. And in doing so, I want some of that. I want to get that closer to where it rightfully should be. It says the ark of God remained in the house of Obed-Edom. Not that it visited, it didn't casually attend, it didn't show up when it was convenient or it felt like it. No, it remained there. There's something about the remaining in the presence of God. And here's where this story is interesting. Obed-Edom was a Gittite, okay? That means he was a Philistine. He was a Philistine, the enemy of Israel. the enemy of Israel. And what does it say? His house was blessed. 
Obed-Edom is only mentioned one other time in Scripture, and it's in 1 Chronicles. And it says that the sons of Obed-Edom served as priests in the tabernacle of Philistine. Where does this even begin to make sense in how God has laid out things? It doesn't. There's only one explanation, the presence of God. The presence of God. They weren't priests by lineage. They were priests by presence. His sons were not priests by lineage. They had no right to be there. They had no right to be close to, to serve the living God. They had no right to it. But they were priests now by presence from Philistines to priests. From Philistines to priests. And that's why, that's the, really the power, I would say this, of raising your family in a church that submits to and remains in the presence of God above all else. Because the ripple effect of us choosing to remain, that word remain is what, it's abide. That's what abide means. That's why we're called abide church. Lord, we're going to remain with you in your presence, in you all the time, producing your fruit and not our own. We want your will and not our own. There's something to be said about when I choose to remain, no matter what season I am in. Lord, I remain in you. I will stay faithful. I will abide in you. And in doing so, I promise you, there's going to be people in your life, in your family tree, or your kids, maybe your parents even, around you in every direction in your family tree and in generations that you may say, if you had to compare them to something in the Bible, you may say, man, my family members are more like Philistines than priests. They're running from God. They're the enemy of God. They turn their back on God. They want nothing to do with God. They feel like Philistines. But I promise you this, when you choose to remain something changes in your family tree. There's a ripple effect that comes from being in the presence of God. And God can take people in your life, in your family or your friends, your neighbor, who you'd say, man, they, they're like a Philistine. And God can say, I can turn them into a priest. And that's exactly what we're called to be in the New Testament, a royal priesthood. We are now called to carry the presence of God. God can take people from Philistines to priests. Point number three is this be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. Everybody doing okay? It's a little quiet in here today. I'm not angry, I'm passionate, okay? Be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is the fuel for a move of God. It's the fuel. I'll show you in a second here. It's the fuel. Let's continue in our story, 2 Samuel 6, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark, there we go, we figured it out. No more new cart, get the cart out of here. Those that were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps. He crucified a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Every six steps. Here's what we have to realize. Let's dig a little deeper here. It was, seven, it was a seven and a half mile journey from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. Seven and a half miles. And every six steps, David stopped to sacrifice something in reverence to the presence of God. Six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. That's far enough. Let's sacrifice in honor and in reverence to God's presence that we are bringing back to where it should be. Let's stop 
Let's sacrifice something. Let's make this holy ground that we're about to walk into. Let's stop here and remember what we are carrying. Let's stop. Let's remember who is with us. Let's stop. Let's remember the promise that comes with God's presence in our lives. Let's stop. But how many times in our busy life do we not stop? Every six steps, stop. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Seven and a half miles. Seven and a half miles. Without reverence, without sacrifice, we cannot sustain the move of God. Many of us want it. Lord, move in our life. Lord, move in our church. Lord, move in our city. Move in this nation. Lord, we need you. But am I willing to sacrifice every six steps? Am I willing to sacrifice what God's asking me to? Am I willing to set things apart? Am I willing to anoint things in my life, to give up something in my life so that God can move? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice in 2024? Luckily, we're not killing fatted calves today, okay? When you walk out, we don't have a, a, a petting zoo outside for you to grab one on your way out. That's not it, okay? Romans 12, one through two says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice today? It's simply this, when I refuse to blend in with an evil, corrupt, and wicked culture, I refuse to blend in. Why? Because God is calling us, you and me, he's calling us to stand out, not to blend in. He's calling us to stand out. If I had to go to trial today for being a Christian, would anyone be able to look at my life, look at my actions, look at my posts on social media, look at the things that are in my house, look at you know the movies that I watch, look at the stuff that I do, the habits that I have, could they look at those things and be conv fully convinced that I am a child of God, that I follow him? Am I willing to sacrifice to the Lord areas of my life that would just be easier to indulge in? What's the big deal? Am I willing to go to extreme measures if God says I need to, to sacrifice things for him? Every six steps for seven and a half miles seems extreme to me. But some of us aren't willing to give up a TV show when God's been prompting our heart and say, you don't need to be watching that anymore. David was sacrificing animals every six steps for the presence of God. But when God begins to work on us for something like a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend that are pulling us away from God rather than encouraging us and pointing us to God, we're not willing to address it. When our job is asking us to do things that is against God's word and we're convicted about it and we can't, we just, we know it's wrong, but it pays really good and it's really comfortable and I'm used to this lifestyle, we're not willing to sacrifice. But I'm gonna ask you to be bold and to ask the Lord, Lord, what is there in my life that I should be sacrificing? to bring your presence closer into my life? Is there something that I'm allowing my kids to watch, my kids to do, my kids to have that I need to address? Second Samuel verse, uh, 6 verse 16 says this, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, look at this, she despised him in her heart. 
Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She's criticizing his worship of the presence of God. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls that you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Look at verse 23. This is the heartbreaking verse. Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Two things to point out here. The first is this. One telltale sign of being a living sacrifice is being unashamed in your worship. I don't care who knows. I don't care who sees. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what my coworkers are going to say when they see me praying, when they hear me worshiping. I don't care. I don't care what people think of my life. This is where David was. I don't care. It's all for God. My joy, my worship, my passion, it's all for him. But here's the warning in this story is this, the principle. Judgment of other people's authentic worship will create barrenness in your own life. Spiritual barrenness. When I look at someone else who is truly just trying to worship God, seeking after, they're not trying to get attention, but they're truly doing it to be in the presence of God, to pursue the presence of God, to honor the presence of God. And I begin to judge them, critique them, look down on them, make fun of them. It will bring spiritual barrenness in my own life. It will hinder and it will keep God from moving in my life. That's what happened with her. Look at this guy. Come on, you're supposed to be a king. Why are you acting like that? Why are you dancing around like that? The outer robe's coming off. Why are you doing that? He says, I did it for God, for his presence, to celebrate Lord, the Lord's presence coming to where it rightfully belonged. But I think in our world, we must sacrifice our pride, stop wondering what other people are gonna think of me if I go out all out with my relationship with Jesus. What would happen if I lived, loved, and looked like Jesus in my workplace and I didn't care? What if I lived, loved, and looked like Jesus when I was in public and I didn't care, in front of my neighbors, and I didn't care. But pride wrapped in this, well, what are people gonna think, hinders God from his presence doing all that it wants to do and he wants to do. What are people gonna think of me? Let this be a reminder to us. In the heart of every critic is a person who is just disappointed that they missed out. In the heart of every critic is really just disappointment, someone that missed out. Here's what I want us to see today. Don't let this uh, message condemn you or, or don't let this feel heavy on you. It should be exciting. Because when I pursue the presence of God and I say, Lord, I am going to take personal responsibility, it invites a move of God. And I bet if we went around the room and I asked you, do you need God to do something in your life? Do you need God to move in your life? All of us would have a yes about something. Yes, I do. Yes, I'm desperate. Yeah, we've been believing for 10 years and nothing's changed. Yes, I do. I need some help. I need God to move. And this is why this message is so important is because when I say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of not doing my part. Lord, I'm gonna take personal responsibility. I'm not gonna tell someone else to build a, a spiritual cart to carry your presence. Lord, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna put the weight of it on my shoulders. And God says, guess what? I'm gonna give you the strength to carry you everywhere that I want you to go. 
It's not going to be a heavy burden. You're going to feel the pressure of it. You're going to feel a little bit of the responsibility of it, but it's a healthy burden. It's a healthy thing. It's an honoring thing to carry. When I choose to remain in God's presence, I'd say this, remaining, choosing to abide in God's presence, it is the number one thing that will change your family tree from Philistines to priests. Lord, no matter what, in heartbreak, I'm gonna stay in your presence. In joy, I'm gonna stay in your presence. When I prayed for that loved one and they passed away, Lord, I'm gonna stay in your presence. Lord, when we prayed for healing and you brought healing, I'm gonna stay in your presence. Let us be a people that remain no matter what. Remaining invites the move of God. Be a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the pressure and the culture that's around us and culture's ways. Pursue God's presence and you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's okay if we stand out from culture. We're called to. Don't conform. At the bottom of your note-taking cards, I have reflection questions and action steps. I try to do this on a regular basis. I have some on there for you, and I would encourage you with this. If you came in here today and you're with your spouse, I would encourage you to take those note-taking cards home, look at those reflection questions, and talk with your spouse about it this afternoon, this week, whenever. Get alone. Talk about it. Let it have a conversation. Maybe you came in here today and you're not married. Man, talk to somebody. Find a friend in here. Find somebody that you can talk to about those questions this week. Take today's content not just as head knowledge of something that happened a long time ago in the life of King David, but let God show you through the power of his Holy Spirit how it can apply to your life today. And watch when you pursue his presence how a move of God begins to show up in your life. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you've created a way for us to have access to you, even though while we were still sinners, you died for us. But I thank you that because when we put our faith in you, we are cleansed and separated from our sin, that we can experience your presence. Lord, our heart as a church is this. We wanna pursue your presence. We wanna pursue your will. We wanna pursue your character. We wanna pursue your word. We want you, not what is cool, not what's convenient, not what's easy. Lord, we want you. And in doing so, Lord, we will sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice. We will change whatever we need to change. We will submit to your ways. And Lord, we know that when we do that, there's gonna be a move. Revival takes place. Things begin to shift. And Lord, we're not here to control it. We're here to invite you and say, Lord, have your will, have your way. Do what only you can do. Bring the miraculous. Bring the prodigals home. Bring salvation. Bring healing to our marriages, Lord. Help us walk in agreement with your word. And we thank you for the things that are gonna come from today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.